Welcome to the Positively Midlife Podcast. We are college friends now in our 50s exploring midlife together. Join us on this journey filled with honest discussion on the topics and challenges that are important to women at midlife. Today, we are talking with a successful entrepreneur and founder of a beloved international beverage brand that she literally grew from the ground up and sold it all before she was 30. She leveraged her success into a 20-plus year in consumer packaged goods in food and beverage as a mentor and a coach. But COVID in 2020 threw our guest Lori a curveball and a pivot point in her career. Today, she'll share how she reinvented her business and career during the pandemic. Well, we never know when life is going to be throwing us a curveball. And at midlife, COVID was a big, huge curveball for us all. So true, Tish, you know, and it was a positive one in some ways and a negative in others. And really, the impact hasn't fully been felt yet. They're like ripples after throwing a rock in a lake. Yeah, so many women had had to really learn how to pivot during this time, you know, to keep life going. And I'm excited for us to share Lori's fascinating story. We're going to hear from her how her business literally changed overnight in a few short weeks and how her growth-oriented mindset just took her on this new path. Yeah, I love this story, really. And I love her grit and her creativity. And I think everyone listening today is really going to walk away from this episode energized for change. But before we get to Lori and her story of entrepreneurship, Tish, you know, I love our weekly obsessions. What do you got for me this week? So my weekly obsession is actually salt. It's this uh, very special salt. So when I was just visiting you out in San Francisco, we had to go to your book group and it was a dinner party book group and you were charged with bringing bread. And how do you make ho-hum. bread? Yeah, exciting. So I had looked up this very special salt that comes from France. It's crystallized, so it remains really crunchy, and it's all hand done. Mm -hmm. And so we went to pick some up, and I'm going to attempt to say this French name, Le Seigneur du Camargue. So that was the salt, and we just took the best butter we could find. And I think it was actually French butter as well. And then sprinkled it over the top, you know, displayed it really nice with the bread and stuff around it. And it made something simple as bread and butter, like really spectacular. I can't even express to you the difference that just putting the salt, this little crunch, this little zest in there made to just a simple bread and butter. Everyone loved it. And I would say run to get the best French butter and the salt and try it. Confession time, we finished the rest of the butter and the salt while you were here too. Not the salt, not the salt, just the the butter. But the butter, yes. But what I'm going to say too is, you know, sometimes when you're invited over someone's house, you want to bring a little gift, right? Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes we bring wine and that becomes, you never know if people like that type of wine. This is such a great, so we're going to put a link on there that you can actually buy a four pack of these. You can have one for yourself and then keep for little gifts. When you go to someone's house, the packaging is beautiful, has a little cork top on it, but I'm going to say it's the cutest little hostess gift you could possibly bring. And trust me, they're going to love it. What about you, Alan? What is your obsession for this week? 
Well, my obsession is something you saw when you were out visiting me last week as well. And they're called the super cubes. And it's not S-U-P-E-R, but S-O-U-P-E-R. So they are silicon trays for freezing soup. And you can get them either with two trays or four trays, so to speak, on each. And, you know, I love to just make a big batch of soup. And here, you know, we're cooking for one or two sometimes, but it's a great way to freeze your soup and be able to just pop a single serving or a double serving out of the super cube whenever you want it. And I have to say, super easy. (laughs) I loved those. And, you know, it kind of goes back to our last week's episode about sustainability, you know, not putting food and things to waste. So I love that it was an individual portion size. Mm -hmm. You could so easily remove it from the container and stores really can stack them up in your refrigerator. So you definitely want a couple of those, but what a nice, quick, not going out to do fast food kind of night when you want something on the lighter side. And you know, that bread and butter that we were just talking (laughs) about, we go perfect with your soups. So it's definitely something I'm going to purchase because I'm a soup person too, soup stews. And what a great way to to put it in your fridge too, so you can have it later. Absolutely. We would like to welcome Lori Spencer to our podcast. She is the business founder of Oregon Chai. And she is founded that company in her 20s. She is also a mentor, a coach, a board member, and the mom of three children. These are just a few of her monikers. Lori is also an advocate for women entrepreneurs everywhere. I have to say that, you know, Lori and I went to college together here in Marin County back in the day, Lori. I was in grad school and Lori was an undergraduate and we were just saying it was one of our best living experiences. And she was a total dynamo back then too. So I've watched Lori grow from afar since that time. Well, welcome, Lori. Can you share a little bit with us about what your background is? Thank you, Ellen and Tish for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Let's see. I am Lori Spencer And I have my own boutique independent consulting firm, Lori Spencer Consulting. It's very a very original name. Uh, (laughs) We love it. (laughs) And I am based out of Portland, Oregon. I'm actually a eighth generation Oregonian, and have a lot have a lot of deep roots in in Oregon. Up actually up at our Mount Hood. My mom was a Palmer, and there's the Palmer Snowfield up at up at Mount Hood. So that's that's a pretty cool fact. But I, um, yeah, as you mentioned, I, you know, well, I actually start, I went to school with Ellen, as she said, down in the Bay Area. And I lived, after I graduated, I moved abroad. My path was I wanted to be a creative director and own my own agency and graduated in design. I actually got a job in Switzerland teaching design and moved there and lived there for several years. And you know, early 20s, ski pass, beautiful Swiss man, <laughs> design, you know, teaching design. It was pretty great. And mm-hmm. then I moved back and I started my career actually in the agency, advertising agency world and learned that business model. And it was there that I fell in love with the business side of and decided not to pursue the creative side. Mm-hmm. And so Subway was my first account. And it was really there that I got really excited about food and beverage and quick service, obviously, with Subway. And 
So from there, my high school friend that I grew up with had gone to India and she got hooked on chai there, mm-hmm. and, you know, came back and we wanted to Americanize it. And so we, we started Oregon chai and I brought the, I brought us in as a client to the agency to do all of our packaging. And one thing led to the next and we started Oregon chai and, and had that for 10 years. Fast forward. Hey, Lori, I, Lori, can I just ask at that point, no one knew about chai, right? I mean, this was oh, in America, God. in America. It was <laughs> really, let me say, you know, say that in America. So this was really innovative that you oh, were doing. Yeah, no, we, we didn't really know what we were stumbling across until mm-hmm. we realized that we, we had a home run of a recipe and everybody couldn't, we couldn't get it to people's mouths faster, but also the demand for it just became so, so yes, we were introducing the birth of this brand new beverage category, but also Mm -hmm. we had an outstanding product and people wanted it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. You know, Lori, the food and beverage market is so extremely competitive to break into. So did you have any experience in that industry? And was that a pro or a con? We had zero experience <laughs> in the in the beverage. I mean, I was exposed to it on the agency side a little bit on the mm-hmm. client with my clients, but it was a pro and a con. I, I would say the beauty out of it was nobody was doing alternative beverages in the early 90s. And so, you know, let alone women-owned businesses at that time. And so we sort of were this, you know, new shiny sparkle that that people wanted to gravitate to like, wow, what do you have here? But at the same time, I think nobody knew what chai was. And so we had the challenge of educating and, you know, educating and bringing people along. And, you know, that took a long time. So yes, I think it was easy in some ways to break into beverage just because alternative beverages, but we still had to go through the process of getting, you know, beverage approval and things like that. Mm-hmm. I like to say that you started it in your parents' basement, garage. How did you really actually, start it? <laughs> actually, yeah, we started it um, in Heather. So Heather is my high school friend who I started it with. And her mom is actually a recipe guru from, I mean, the woman is an amazing cook and is constantly like in the kitchen coming up with new recipes and things like that. And Heather and I really researched, you know, literally back then in the library of how to, how to, (laughs) how to concoct this recipe. And then really Teddy, her mom developed the, you know, helped us get to a good recipe. And then we were brewing it on the stovetop in in Teddy's house. And then, and then across the street, we started producing in the basement of a church and yeah, that's, that's really where (laughs) a lot of it happened in the early days, distributing out of our cars to coffee shops and, Mm -hmm. you know, scribbling on pieces of paper for receipts. And I mean, it was nuts. You just knew, you just knew you had something special. We definitely knew we had something special. And I got to say, gut played a lot of that. Yes. At early twenties, I didn't have, the responsibilities of kids and, you know, family and that kind of thing. But I did move home and was almost at the point of selling my car because I believed in it so much. And, you know, our parents are like, my parents were like, gee, che, you know, what is this? But, you know, we got really lucky in the early days. We had great resources. My father at the time, you know, he was practicing law. So he helped us on the legal side. And then we had a friend that was an accountant and, and, one of our partners, actually, she, she did a lot of books and, 
we all the right things kind of fell into place. It's really a great story, Lori, like a great origin story. But you really kind of learned the ropes by doing. And I love that part of it. And I love that it was all women, even though you were young women, we're here women more in midlife. But maybe you can share a little bit about what happened next. In terms of the business or? Yeah, in terms of the business. I mean, I think you grew it to be a national brand. Yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, it was tough in the early days of, it was 24-7, seven days a week early on and just blood, sweat and tears. I mean, we put everything into it. We were sampling, you know, on the weekends, anywhere we could. Out of just pure accidental, we we developed these chai raves that we were doing at coffee shops. We had a girlfriend that owned a coffee shop and she hosted these events. And so we, you know, we were trying to build this brand, right? And it was not until we got our first retail account that we we kind of quit our jobs and made it official. And I won't forget that retail meeting because we literally, we jumped in the buyer's arms, like, thank you for taking <laughs> us. It was our first retail account. And because mm-hmm. we built the business on coffee shops and we developed yeah. this 1.5 bag in the box, like a wine in the box that with a spout mm-hmm. that you serve the product out of, and we put it on the counter and we could advertise that way. And it was really cool, but it was tough being a full-time. I never stayed home and my maternity leaves were were pretty short and I didn't mind it. I really enjoyed here we are building this brand and and in, in a way living the American dream because we were, you know, it was the phenomenon of a new beverage category and people were excited about it and we were fun about it. We had a lot of fun and I think people love that. So you were really a female entrepreneur, like really groundbreaking at a groundbreaking time, I think, for women in business. What do you love most about being an entrepreneur and what are some of the biggest challenges that you faced? Yeah, great question. I would say what was still, I definitely, definitely still have a lot of entrepreneurial energy and, but, you know, every day is a new day. It's, you're waking up and it's a different challenge every day and you're wearing multiple hats. You're problem solving all the time. Decision-making, definitely what I loved about it is we made quick decisions fast and we move fast. And it's just a whole different than your typical office you know, job. You learn all aspects of the business. I would say early on when we didn't have any support, we all filled in. I drove a forklift. I, you know, took things to FedEx. I answered the phone one day. I'm out doing sales another day. And then it's not until you can bring in the right support to do the right things that you can start to define where your where your roles are. But early on, you're wearing it all. And I love the scrappy in the weeds day to day and you know, also being strategic and forecasting and planning, and you get to really experience both ends there. I love that scrappy and in the weeds. And, you know, what you're describing, Lori, I think so many people dream of, right? This is really, Really? yes, yes. Starting your own company, developing a brand, bringing together so many different disciplines. I mean, you were so young at this point to me, right? Like now with a little mileage between all of us. And did the business success surprise you? Did it surprise your parents? Did it surprise the beverage world? Yeah, great question. I think what surprised me most was the demand for it early on so fast. We were growing at 350% 
our first year. So it was, it was nuts. And part, and I have to say, you guys, it was once you get it to people's mouths, it's Mm -hmm. a home run. And, you know, it's just, it's just an outstanding tasting product, both hot and cold and people loved it and gravitated to it and had to have it. I mean, we had serious addicts, the chai addicts that just, you know, and we weren't, we weren't distributing at that time. And so we, we were sending it to people's houses because they were, you know, they wanted it so bad. I think as we grew, we became more and more structured. And, you know, I don't like to use the word corporate, but when you get private equity behind you and you have a bottom line to fulfill, you know, you've got numbers to hit. It became very much of a multi-million dollar business that we had to, you know, we had to account for. So we all had to become accountable. We all had to, you know, so did it surprise everyone? Not so much. I think what surprised people is probably the growth so fast. I mean, when I look back on it, it took us, you know, a decade to start scale and sell a business, right? Mm-hmm. At the time, it, it felt <laughs> like for, it felt like forever, but when I look back on it, you know, that's that's not long. I mean, right now acquisitions in food and beverage take a long time. It's definitely a different playing field now, but you know, we definitely went through the the what you would call the traditional route of taking a consumer brand to market. And it took, you know, it took a long time, but definitely experienced everything, you name it, hiring, recalls, 15 trade shows a year, you know, living out of a suitcase. I think sometimes it looks very glamorous from the outside, but it's, it's, it's a lot of hard work and perseverance when you're doing it. Yeah. Oh, and it, you know, I, I like that when you said it's 24 seven, when you have your own business, and you want it to be successful. It truly is 24 seven. You don't put it, it to bed. It is. And I'm constantly advising and coaching to that because I think there's this perception that you can, you can start a product and have the flexibility of not having a full-time job. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's a full-time job plus. Plus, plus, plus. Uh-huh. Yeah, I agree. I think just to go back to the chai for one minute, it's like when I think about my kids, this is such a beverage that they've known their whole lives now, right? So you created this. I do remember my first chai and it was at Starbucks, you know, that someone convinced me to have. So, I mean, within our lifetime, this has become a mainstream beverage from something you started. I just had to point that out. It's like, I I can remember my first chai. Yeah, Ellen, no, I'm glad you're actually bringing this up because what a lot of people don't know is you are correct. We brought chai to America and we had to educate people on chai. And then we had to educate people on Oregon chai. And so, you know, we wanted people and everybody was experimenting early on and trying quite a few. There was a lot of maws and paws, but there were about three of us that were going nationwide with it. And we'd see each other at the trade shows and things like that. But honestly, when I look back on it, I'm so glad that it was the three of us because we were building this category together and we were justifying. I would try to, I would talk to the press and they'd be like, yeah, we're just going to put you in with tea or we're going to put you in with coffee. And it's like, no, we're chai. We're not tea. Or, I mean, <laughs> we're tea and we're, the dog is playing with the dog toy. <laughs> but I look back and we were educating people on, on the category on a whole. I think we even had a campaign early on, on how to pronounce chai. And so what happened is the category kind of plateaued and that's when we were selling the business. And then five years later, it all came back. 
And to your point, Ellen, my kids, of course, at the time were so young, they, they wouldn't have known when I was, when I was doing this business, but it's so funny because now, you know, fast forward, they see it on the shelf and they're like, you know, there's, there's, there's the separation time of when nobody really was interested in it anymore. And then Oprah brought it back to Starbucks and then people started putting it on menu boards. And then all of a sudden people are making chapsticks and cocktails and pancake mix. I mean, it's interesting how many different categories chai has taken on. It is. It is. It's pretty crazy, right? To think about that. And I know that you sold the company and you moved in, Lori, to consulting, to mentoring, and you do so much coaching with people who are young in their business trajectory. So share with us a little bit about that experience. I come from a long line of really strong women, strong, bold, and smart women, my my aunt, my mom, and then having a daughter. And so women women leadership and women founders have always been kind of in my DNA. I've always been a part of boards that is associated around that. And I was on the board of Girls Inc. for you know, many, many years. And so coaching and, you know, coaching and advising and has always been sort of a side hustle for me. But, you know, one day when I retire, it may become a full-time thing, but I really enjoy and just get so excited and about helping women and furthering their business. And so some of my coaching work, I've found some great coaching outlets that of where I can help entrepreneurs and women founders. And I've really enjoyed that. What do you think is the biggest advantage? Because I know you do virtual CMO work with startups is, is one of your paths. So what do you think is the biggest advantage to starting um, to using a coach during this process when you are building a startup? Yeah, well, having been a founder, you know, been on that being on that founder journey, it's definitely a different one. And I think what I've been able to bring some of these some of these leaders and founders is having that hat with understanding how the process and and how to go about starting and scaling a business. And so sort of that corporate mindset with that founder, I think it's helped a lot to have that perspective and have that insight to what I wish I would have known what I knew then now kind of thing. And so whatever I can do to pay pay it forward and, and, you know, help them not make those same mistakes or, you know, if they come up against something. So it's been kind of fun to relive the past a little bit through my coaching work, but at the same time, really making a difference and helping and bringing impact to these, these founders is it's been, that's really rewarding, you know? Now, when does a business know when they're ready to make that type of financial commitment? Is it really at the start, the very start, or should they get a kind of a little experience going first and then bring in a coach? What do you see that? I think it's both. I think more and more people are bringing in coaches early on so that they can help them plan and, and plan for that, um, you know, that growth. And honestly, I think the ones that are really doing it right. And well, what I mean by that is they're approaching their business in a very smart way and they're bringing in the right people to help them get to where they need to get to. And they're recognizing that early on, as opposed to much later when, not necessarily it's too late but you know you're you're trying to catch up and catch your breath and at the same time you're learning these things that you should have probably had in place a lot earlier so i try to 
actually recommend to some of these people to bring in those right resources early on to get yourself up to speed and get your arms around it early so that you understand as you're as you're continuing on that you know what you're up against. Maybe less hard lessons, maybe less organic growth, and maybe a little bit more planning and foresight up oh, front. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I think they probably all, or I'm sure they all appreciate your experience, Lori, doing it the way you did it with Oregon Chai, right? And having just maybe a little bit of a different perspective as somebody who's been in the industry for years, kind of in midlife. So do you have any changes to your approach or perspective from being in midlife? Yes, I would say early early on in my career, I was very concerned with title and ranking and, ooh, I, I want that bonus. And, you know, very concerned about performance and, you know, being perfect and I've always been kind of a perfectionist my whole life, you know, and definitely I have learned and it, it's a skill. I've I've not only learned to slow down and take a deep breath and, but to sort of step back and pause. And in my, my later career, I've learned how to ask the right questions. I've learned how to be a good listener. I've learned how to, you know, not take everything so seriously and that mistakes are actually a blessing and meant to happen. And accidents are beautiful. They open up a whole new, they can potentially open up a whole new chapter in some ways. But so, yeah, I think I've definitely become much more mellow in my, my, (laughs) you know, I tend to be high strung and very excited and lots of, lots of passion and lots of drive and lots of leaning in. And so I think that's definitely calmed a little bit in my later, later years. Amazing. I know our listeners would love to hear about, I don't know if I want to say a success story or just a great perspective with a female entrepreneur. You can name them or not name them. Just give us an example of some of the work you've done. Yeah. So I was on the board of an organization here called Accelerate, and I've always coached through it for the last you know, five years off and on. I actually did a lot of it through COVID. And Accelerate has a cohort and they do different cohorts of female founders. And I was in charge of the food and beverage vertical. And I had, you know, it's really hard for me to single out one female founder just because I have been around so many and some of whom are successful right now to this day. And it's so fun to see them thriving and really shining right now when I saw them very early on in their careers. And so this particular cohort stood out to me because it'd been a long time since I'd seen a group of four to five women who I know were going to all be successful. Usually I've gotten really good at at spotting, you know, kind of the ones that I know that are going to really take it seriously and, and do well. And this particular group was on fire. I mean, these women were all so passionate and so excited about their career, their businesses and doing all the right things to get everything in place. And so I would definitely, you know, and I still to this day try to give them a shout out because they're just thriving in their businesses. So one is actually a chai business, believe it or not. Wow. Okay. One, one stripe chai. And she cute story. I mean, I, I met her because she was making a delivery to a coffee shop that I happened to be in. And I helped her with her boxes to the counter. And I was like, wow, it's a chai. And, and then I told her and she absolutely almost fell over. Cause she's like, <laughs> Oh my God, I want your autograph. 
laugh. So that was a beautiful moment, but watching her, watching her grow. And then uh, spirits is really popular up here. And a lot of women are starting distilleries. And one of them, Freelance Spirits is the name of the brand. And she is just doing phenomenal. She's opening up new tasting rooms. She's extending on her product line. And at the time, you know, she was just trying to get her bottle and her first product going. And so, so fun. She's got a big team now. And so there's also another gal in there that was doing a whiskey and a spirits company as well. And then have you guys heard about the whole almond butter thing? You know, Justin's their ground up is the name of the, the brand and it's two gals that are doing it. And they, they're also doing phenomenal work. Mm-hmm. They hire women who've been, you know, through really stressful times as, as employees and really building a really cool mission and, and values around their business. So I'd love to really highlight that group of women that I felt just, you know, every time I left them, I was like, Oh my God, you guys are going to like conquer the world. I love love it. We'll definitely put links in our show notes to all of those companies, Lori, and get them from you. Now, Lori, you had said something that really kind of struck me. You said you can spot something that, you know, that somebody's really going to, that has potential. What do you see when you look at someone and say they have potential as an entrepreneur? Yeah, I can tell when someone shows up to the table and has, they've done some type of research in some way, they've got something to show for it, whether it's they've done a a sampling or they've done a focus group or they've really looked at the market online or whether it's scrappy or whether it's official, you know, they've done that due diligence. They've seeked out some type of mentors or advisors to get, you know, some input, whether that's financial or whether that's from a sales perspective or, and they've really, they've, they've sort of done this, you know, what I call due diligence period. And then they've got, a great product that in some way is going to differentiate or disrupt the market in some way. I think the brands that are doing really well right now are ones that are disrupting an existing category. So in other words, they're doing something different within a well-known category. The ones that are developing brand new categories are really up against a tough, you know, a tough challenge. Uh, And so you know, I look at ice cream, I look at tea, I look at all the categories that, you know, I'm familiar with and the ones that really are doing it in a some type of different way, I think are, are doing well. And you got to have a lot of passion and drive to really take a product to market today. And mm-hmm. so the entrepreneurs that show up that are ready and up for it, the ones that are that are working a full-time job in addition to doing this at night. I mean, that's tough. And, you know, honestly, I think at some point you you do have to commit to the business. I know financially it's a struggle for some, but you know, that's really what it takes. So COVID hit the world like so unseen, right? And it had a incredible rippling effect. Something's positive, something's not. But how does this impact? How do you see it impacting business strategies at this point? COVID? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I call it in the industry, I definitely call it post-COVID. The food and beverage industry on a whole was already prior to COVID 
a lot of people were looking at the e-com and looking at the direct to consumer. And that was becoming well, definitely a, a part of the discussions and in people's planning. And all of a sudden that there was no choice, but to, if you were going to scale or grow a business that you had to look at that channel. And so that was definitely a necessity. And I think where people are, are, where there's there's a lot of setbacks now in the industry. Decision-making takes a lot longer. Getting a meeting or getting people's attention. There's a few select distributors that basically own the market share in the country. Mm-hmm. You have to work with them if you want to scale a national brand. And it's really hard and really tough mm-hmm. to get into them today and get approvals. Appro- what used to be a 90-day approval is now you know eight to 12 months. So wow. you you have to be able to sit on that inventory or have the financial to be able to do that. So it's really unfortunate. The industry has definitely changed a lot in as far as that goes. Yeah. It sounds like it still is kind of finding its footing post-COVID, as you say. But Lori, you had a big shift in your business from the onset of COVID. I'd love for you to share that with our listeners. Well, yeah. I mean, a lot of it was out of necessity instead of, you know, having more full-time model and resources. It became, I had to switch gears and become more agile, which turned into more advisory, which turned into more contract fractional work. And, you know, part of that is just, you know, as you guys remember, when we shut down, it was very drastic and very abrupt and, you know, not to word, use the word disruptive again, but it really was. And so here in Portland, a lot of businesses were impacted. And I went into help mode and outreach mode to really help some of these businesses shift gears and, you know, pivot in a new direction. And so my work, my contract fractional work came out of really helping some businesses change gears and, you know, move in a different direction. And so, I went from full-time one company to three companies, multiple hat, working from home. And what a change, you know, (laughs) I'd never worked at home, let alone, you know, everybody's zooming all over the place. And it was just, it was really, but honestly, I definitely got a taste of what it's like to be, you know, a contractor with multiple clients Mm -hmm. and what that looks like, right? Very, it's been a lot of diverse and variety of work, which I've really enjoyed. And, you know, different types of companies, different categories. I've always worked in one category and now I'm working in multiple categories. It's also, I've worked cross-functionally in many areas now. I used to be very much the marketing marketing hat also with, you know, general business, you know, leadership executive hat. And now I'm definitely business development, sales, operations, and marketing. And so it's been, it's been very much of a versatile hat role. Mm -hmm. And do you like that? I do. I like it a lot. I've been able to work with a variety of different teams and projects. And if anything, sharpen my pencil a little bit more Mm -hmm. in that Ultimately, you know, I'd like to maybe pursue that that GM or or CEO role. And so this I feel like this has set me up for some maybe some work in that. Mm -hmm. I do think that COVID really affected women greatly. I know you're a mom of three. You were wearing that hat during COVID as well. Right. Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah. Uh, and, and supporting them. Right. I mean, as I like to say, I really felt my COVID later on in COVID because I was too busy supporting so many people around me, you know, everything from family to work, to my clients, to my dogs. I mean, you name it, my parents. And so I almost went into reactive support mode and yeah, I mean, it's a challenge, right? And you, I do have to say when it comes to that with my career, it's finding the right resources. And I've been very resourceful over the years to find the right, you know, the right resources to help out. So I have an an amazing partner, partner in crime, and then, you know, great family support and also, you know, friends and family. It's been, it's been great. You know, Laura, you mentioned on your website that you realized that collaborating with a wide variety of people makes your dream team. So if somebody is considering entrepreneurship, right, can you elaborate how this can become a key ingredient in how you grew your multimillion dollar company, but how they could as well and the importance of it? So people are everything. People are, uh, whether it's your team at work, you know, whether it's your local community, whether it's your friends, girlfriends, just people has definitely been everything to me. And so it's finding when it comes to, when it comes to Oregon Chire, it comes to any, any of the companies that I work with, you know, you do get to a place, it takes a, it can take a long time to get to that place where you have the right synergies, personalities, and skill set in place to really, you know, thrive in a business. And so using Oregon Chai as an example, we, it took us a while to get to that, that great, I like to call it dream team in every area. So we've got, you know, the right sales team in place. We've got the right warehouse and production team in place. And to get those areas really thriving and moving together takes a long time. You go through staff that maybe don't want to stay or they have to go or you get the wrong skill set in there and you know I've I've experienced that a lot where you're moving around people in different areas and so it takes a while. And so I always say if you if that day comes when you have all the right people in the right seats make sure you covet you know keep that and cherish that and reward that, right? Absolutely. I think Tish and I feel really lucky to have our little dream team here on our podcast. So we can definitely relate to that, Lori. I always thought, Ellen, it's pairing yourself up with people who have strengths that you don't have. Right. And that's not always the easiest thing to find. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that reminds me. So I had the opportunity to meet the the CEO of Starbucks, Howard Schultz. And I'll never forget early on in my career, his advice and Tish, it has to do with what you just said. He said, hire the right people to do the right things and surround yourself with people who are actually smarter than you, who will bring out your strengths and make you successful. So don't try and own HR if you don't know how to hire people or onboard or train. And when you can afford the HR, bring it in. And it's only going to make you that much more successful. So I took that with me in my career. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of truth to that. Mm -hmm. I really like that. That must've been a great, um, a really great interview or interaction with the CEO of Starbucks. I can imagine, Lori, you know, where do you feel most people get hung up or overwhelmed in starting a business? If you could just 
Is there one specific part of the process that you found? Yes. I mean, I was going to say it's a lot of founders get hung up on, they get overwhelmed by, I call it the pre-checklist. It's pre-launch. So pre-launch, post-launch. So there's a lot you have to do before you get on the shelf as a product. And there's a checklist. A lot of founders that I work with just get way overwhelmed by the list on a whole. So my whole thing is break it down, take it in chunks and get it done. And, you know, so you can get overwhelmed as much as you want, but, you know, you've got the list right there. So I think a lot of founders are also struggling with, and it's a real thing, is fundraising right now, you know, getting money to be able to either get that machine that they need to produce, or they need the packaging in order to, you know, get in, get their product to the shelf to ship or so there's a lot of roadblocks and then you've got the fundraising piece. And so that is a very common problem right now is, you know, so founders are caught up in trying to get everything ready to present to investors, or it's really hard right now to get, you know, get a check signed. So you got to, you got to work with that. But yeah, I think just that the early days of, of taking your product to market and kind of getting caught up with, you know, all the minutia that goes with that. So you are involved in so many community projects like Build Oregon, Oregon Entrepreneur Network, Accelerate Fund. And these are amazing business growth groups that exist in Oregon. If I'm an entrepreneur somewhere else, how do I find these kind of resources and business support in my own area? Or do we all need to move to Oregon? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I was going to say, Tish, we we are very special here in, in Oregon. And I will say Oregon, I, I corrected myself to not say Portland, but because all those companies you just named are in Portland, but we do have amazing support for the entrepreneurial community here in Portland, but also in the outlying areas. So Eugene, Bend, Salem, you know, there we have an amazing community of you know, consumer products and leaders. And so honestly, I think a lot of the resources have grown from that and grown outside of that because it's been such a a huge, vast amount of people who are starting, who are starting um, products. So I do know that there's nationally, there are organizations that are supporting these types of things. And more and more are popping up. And so locally, I would suggest, depending on you know what what industry you're in, to really research and look at that because there are several that are nationwide that are that are starting to pop up. Naturally Boulder, naturally, there's organizations within food and beverage that I know that are that are nationwide. There's also a lot of female women organizations that are popping up too nationwide. So that offer that support. I think I that's good. That. I, I love that women are so supportive of other women building businesses and aren't feeling challenged by them or intimidated by, wait a minute, you know, that's my area, but they're like trying to bring other women up. And that's been so important. We've done shows about mentoring and the importance of it with, especially within the female community. Yeah. I love that we're seeing, we're absolutely seeing a, you know, a flip and a change in that. And it's time, right? 
Definitely. You know, Lori, we always like to ask one piece of advice you would give to our listeners. And I have a friend who's actually starting a business in her retirement. She has a little retirement business starting. So women are starting businesses at every stage. And what piece of advice would you give them from your experience? Oh, boy. Well, there's there's quite a bit. (laughs) There's quite a bit that comes with that. But I guess if I I had to, can I have a few? You can have. We'll give you a few. I I say we'll give you a pass on that. Give us a few. (laughs) Okay. So I definitely, trust me, I've had to learn this one, but be comfortable in the uncomfortable. So in other words, have those difficult conversations. It's okay. And you have to, especially as an entrepreneur, if you're growing a business, you've got to get uncomfortable and it happens. And honestly, it's when I look back on it, it's some of, some of the more beautiful moments is when, you know, we have to get down and dirty. Right. And the other one I would say, I do tell my kids this as well, probably every week is continue to learn and, and have a network or have a group of mentors at your table at all times. So whether that's an old professor or a coach or a sports coach or a former boss or, you know, but networking is definitely a necessity, whether you're, whether you're working or not, it's, it's Mm -hmm. good to have a network around you to support you. And I'm always a big believer of continuing to learn no matter what we're never, we're never done learning, right? Never. Yeah. Lori, I've got to say, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us today. It has been amazing, inspiring. Yeah, You really kind of made us think about a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. And anyone who's thinking about being an entrepreneur right now, this is the time. You know, we always talk about these side hustles and whatnot, but this is the time and do the work, find your mentors, keep your inspiration. Mm find the organizations that can help you and take a chance, right? Take a chance. I love it. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Lori. So to our listeners, please see us on our website, www.positivelymidlifepodcast.com. You'll see a lot of links in our show notes to things that we mentioned here today. And until next week. Until next week. The Positively Midlife podcast will drop every Wednesday. Become part of our tribe of women excited to thrive in midlife. Like, subscribe, and follow us wherever you listen and invite your friends along. Until next time, have a great week.